0: Welcome to the Mind Green Podcast. I'm Jason Wackab, founder and co-CEO of My Body Green, and your host. Hi everyone, I'm Olesa Pindak, Mind Body Green's Chief Content Officer. Today I'm excited to welcome Malika Chopra, author, entrepreneur, and mother of two teenage daughters to the Mind Green podcast. Malika has been educating people about the importance of meditation since her own father, Deepak Chopra, taught her at the age of nine. So it's fair to say she's had some meditation practice. You'll hear about the time in life when she strayed from her dad's teachings and why she came back to it when she was pregnant with her first daughter, as well as what it was like to grow up with a father who was at first attacked and vilified for his awakening. Malika also shares her wisdom for how to raise more mindful kids, keep anxiety at bay, and the importance of taking micro steps. I'm thrilled to introduce such an insightful and inspiring voice in the mindfulness community. Malika, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's start out with a question
0: that I think you probably get asked more than any other, which is you are the daughter of Deepak Chopra. And I think when people hear that, they must think that your life must have been very mindful right from the start, that you came right out of the womb and started meditating. But you say that it actually wasn't quite like that.
1: No, so one, I'm extremely grateful that I was born into this family and for all of the gifts that my mother and my father gave me. And yes, the first question I always get is, what is it like being Deepak Chopra's daughter? And I think for my brother, Gautam, and me, honestly, we don't know anything else, so it seems so normal. But I would say that our early years especially before nine, I would say pre-nine and post-nine in my life. Pre-nine, my dad was a young immigrant who came here with $8 in his pocket. My mom got pregnant as soon as they got here and could not afford to have me here because health insurance didn't cover it. So I was actually born in India because it was cheaper for my mother to go to India, have me and have her parents buy a ticket back. So my parents really are the epitome of the American dream of immigrants who came here who worked really hard but my dad worked 24 7 he was a stressed out doctor he was moonlighting whenever he wasn't technically um, working at the hospital and so he was stressed Um, he uh, drank to be able to go to sleep. He smoked incessantly, and he was unhappy. So when he came it's home, not my picture
0: I, when you picture Deepak Yes. So, <laughs> so when
1: he came home, my parents were often arguing and fighting, and my brother and I actually preferred it when he wasn't around. And then something changed dramatically, and that was when I was nine, and my father obviously was going through his own midlife crisis. He learned how to do transcendental meditation, and for the first time in his life, I think he had this sense of peace and knowingness and connection. And in his typical way, um, within 24 hours, he had my mother learn, his brother learn, my mom's sister learn, me and my brother learn, the entire Indian community in Boston (laughs) had to learn. Uh, And that really transformed our life. So in 24 hours, he gave up drinking and smoking and really started to change his life. And what that did for my family was very dramatic because We were just a happier unit Uh, and so that has really shaped me and I feel so grateful for the gift of meditation which came into our lives.
0: And how did he teach you? Did you go through the TM classes or um, did he was he the one that actually taught you?
1: No, so I I learned TM when I was nine, um, because again, my dad was brand new at this, so he was discovering it. And I would say, um, you know, I, my father only became well known when I was like about 22 or 23 years old. So really our teenage years and, um, you know, college, et cetera, were really about going on this journey with my parents as they were discovering um, new things, new places, new people. And And I think Gotham and I are very grateful for that because what we saw was people who came to my father were often suffering and, you know, he could help them uh, in ways that we witnessed as well. So I think that really shaped ultimately the work that I'm now doing.
0: And your mom went on this journey with him.
1: Yeah, so my mom, it's really funny, my my dad was very melodramatic about the shift in meditation. Like I said, he gave up, you know, a lot of habits within 24 hours. My mom is a very calm and non-drama person. Um, you know, she's one of those people, she doesn't like to be in the limelight. And I would say for her, meditation was more like coming home and very peaceful And my mom is probably my biggest influence in my life, um, even more than my father, in many ways, because she was at home. Um, When Gautam and I used to come home from school, she meditated every day in the afternoon. And so we'd meditate with her. They'd never force us, but we just kind of enjoyed that time with her. And um, as I talk about in many of my books, like my mom's really a grounded, proud mom. And I think that has really shaped my embrace of my work and just being so proud of being a mother, which really comes from my mother.
0: What did it do for you at such a young age to be um, exposed to meditation? Just because you were nine, so you must have, you knew life before (laughs) knowing how to meditate, before being able to go into that place, and then you knew it after. And at that really important age, what was the shift that you saw within yourself?
1: Yeah, so my books are written for 8 to 12 year olds. And that's very much um, shaped by my own experience. I think when you're at that age, what happens is you're at an age where you can read and comprehend concepts on your own. um, But in parallel, as I mentioned before, because my parents were going on this journey, it kind of felt like a family journey. So I think nine or, you know, that range, eight to 12, it's before the teenage years when um, our body and minds also changed quite dramatically. And what meditation gave me was a tool, early on to get through a lot of the challenges that um, as you grow older um, are inevitable. And so meditation not just gives you uh, the tools to slow down and to respond rather than from a fight or flight response to more um, conscious response to situations, but meditation also helps you know who you really are in a very peaceful way. So when you just grow up with that, It's not like a discovery, it's just part of who you are that you take throughout life.
0: And you were growing up in this family who was very aware of the shift in consciousness and that was long before most of the rest of the world had accepted it. Now we, everyone's meditating it seems like everywhere, (laughs) Um, taking five minutes in a meeting to meditate, but um, that wasn't the case when you were growing up. How did you feel like the, your community and the world at large was responding to you and your family?
1: So my dad was the crazy guy who was talking about the mind-body connection. And I even remember very clearly being in an airport and seeing him on the cover of a magazine, like a farcical type of cartoon of him. Um, and he was the witch doctor who was selling snake oil. That was literally like he had like eight arms in this um cover uh, photo and so and you know uh, um, well and he'd hold stuff but see that's the thing I think we were so used to my dad being attacked all the time he was not um, a celebrity or an icon like he is now he was really attacked and I think the lesson that um, you know those of us who were around him could learn was if you believe in what you're doing And actually, you believe in the power of the experience, which was a real experience for all of us, the benefits of the meditation practice or the mind-body connection that he was talking about. My dad really believed in it. Plus, he took a scientific approach to it. And so what I learned... um, in being in that environment was one stay true to what you believe um, but to support it with you know whether it's academics or science or be able to package the message in a way that resonates with other people and so my dad if you listen to what he says now it's really the same as what he was saying 30 years ago Um, but it's almost like it's caught up
0: And it was your dad, but it was also your dad and a lot of other people who Mm -hmm. were in his life that you wound up growing up next to. You knew Eckhart Tolle and Dr. Andrew Weil and some other real luminaries in the space. Um, What was having that kind of
1: influence in your young life? How did that impact the way that you think about the world? You know, I think, first of all, we never really... Paid attention to it because it, it didn't seem different. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, they were more just fa- the people that came over for exactly, dinner. <laughs> and we were probably more fascinated by the celebrities. Right. Um, but we got to see how the celebrities suffered more, um, so that took away the kind of shine of any celebrity. Uh, and I think for me and my brother, both actually, we never wanted to be part of any of anything my dad did. So I went after college and worked for MTV and in the music industry. My brother did um, war journalism and I was doing sports stuff and so it really, like, that was my dad's journey. For me though, what happened is it was actually in becoming a mother at about 30 that um, and it was around 9-11 I was five months pregnant and it was a particular, on 9-11 itself, when I suddenly realized I'm becoming a mom and the responsibility and all of kind of the love and excitement that I had for that turning into fear and anxiety on 9-11 specifically that I went back to my childhood mm-hmm. and the things that my father and people like Marianne Williamson and Eckhart Tolle suddenly they resonated with me in a very different way because I started to think about what is my role and what is my purpose in this life in becoming a mother and that really is when my personal journey of self discovery began mm-hmm. um, and so it really and that's one thing that I realize with anyone you can't force anyone to do something um, or you know explore something is really when they're ready and that's my own experience.
0: So it's interesting you talk about going away from it. And I know you opened MTV in India, right? Yes, I launched <laughs>
1: MTV in India. I met my husband at a rave in New Delhi. Um, both my brother and I didn't lead anything what people would think would be like the Chopra. I never did yoga. I couldn't care less <laughs> for yoga. Um, you know. So it, now I love yoga and I was obsessed with it. But at that age, um, you know, we were just partying <laughs> and hanging out and traveling. And so you obviously got away from it a little bit and
0: maybe from your meditation practices, but then, as you say, came back into it. And um, you talked about in one of your earlier books, Living with Intent, about how you um, have, like, all of us strayed on the path and struggled with all kinds of different things from... And stress, and perfectionism, and even sugar addiction, and then how you, but you've come back to these practices. And I'm curious, you talk about um, one practice in particular that you actually worked on with your dad during a time when you just strayed so far that you felt like you had lost your sense of of purpose and of and of self. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that um, practice was?
1: Yeah. So the subtitle of Living with Intent is my somewhat messy journey to purpose, peace, and joy. And the somewhat messy is the really important part of that because I truly believe, um, at least I know from my experience, like, I'm not always on a straight path. I, frankly, have not meditated twice a day for 30 minutes a day um, I think for the last 20 years. You know, if I can get one meditation That's practice it's very comforting. In, yes. <laughs> if you're not doing it. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned before, I never really did yoga. Yoga has been something I've discovered in the last two years through Eddie Stern and really getting into a yoga practice. So, my life has kind of incorporated the things Um, I talk a lot about my sugar addiction which is amazing very very relatable very relatable like I um, and you know I've linked I talk about in the book I've linked that also to my emotional needs um, and you know the feeling of security and love I got from my mother and my grandmother and what I get through that. But that's been a process of like 10 years of thinking about it. And then um, using mindfulness to kind of connect the emotions and feelings with the actions that I take. Um, And so, you know, I've kind of am able to balance that more that being said yesterday I had this huge chocolate chip cookie (laughs) and after I had it I was like why did I do that and I realized it was because I'm launching my book this week and I'm feeling um a lot of pressure yes today um and so but the exercise that you mentioned is I was feeling um my kids were probably about eight and ten years old And I was at that stage where I had been launched a company, writing books, um, traveling, but trying to be there for my kids and just feeling overwhelmed, tired, um, eating unwell, not exercising. And so I'd gone home to speak with my father. Um, Actually, I'd gone home just to hang out with my mother and my dad was at the computer and I went and said, you know, I'm struggling. And I remember my dad very... specifically looking at me with panic in his eyes and looking for my mother to come and handle the situation. And I said, no, no, I think this is more something you can help me with (laughs) Um, because my mom takes care of everything in our family. And um, he sat with me and we looked at the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, um, who has done, um, you know, really scientific studies on the mind-body connection, and he has something called the mind-body platter, which looks at all aspects of wellness. And so from that, my father and I created a balance wheel, which I know uh, is shared often on Mind Body Green, which really looks at all aspects of life from um sleep am i getting enough rest how am i eating how am i moving but then really going on into do i feel financially secure do i like what i do every day how are my relationships in my family and my community um do i laugh and have fun anymore i realized at that stage in my life i didn't laugh or have fun um and do i have a spiritual connection and so i used that balance wheel um To really kind of break down. And now, are you evaluating each one of those categories on a scale, or how do you actually go about the practice um, of it? Yeah, so the practice of it, which is outlined uh, in the book, um, is on a scale of one to 10, taking each piece of this pie and kind of saying, Am I struggling, surviving, or thriving? Um, And then it just kind of helps that feeling of feeling overwhelmed by everything to breaking it down into very practical steps. Um, and then setting the intentions, um, and then kind of going through this path of intent. And is uh, the goal to, to thrive
0: in all categories? Or um, I don't think we're always <laughs> going to
1: thrive. No, I, I honestly I don't. I think at different stages in life, um, there are different things that are out of balance. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's about micro steps mm-hmm. um, and changing one or two things to at a time to feel better. So at that time, I mentioned that you know I, I realized you know yes, my sugar addiction was bad, but. I I was sleeping, I could move more. I was really happy with what I was doing, actually, um, professionally. But I mentioned I wasn't laughing or I had lost a sense of intellectual stimulation. And um, a small example of a micro step is I literally started a book club with my friends um, where we would read novels. So it would kind of take us out of like the, you know, one state of mind. And we'd get together once a month and um, talk about a book, open wine we ne- None of us had had time to read the book and we mm-hmm. really never talked about it, but it became the excuse right. to just have fun and laugh and have community. So yeah. it was a very small thing, but it had mm-hmm. a dramatic shift um, in bringing more joy in my life. So it's more about recognizing where mm-hmm. you might be lacking yeah. and then trying to make and up for an it. And setting an intention right. that with time you figure out how to bring that into your life.
0: And intention has been something that's always been a really big part of your work, too. How does intention play into this?
1: So for me, um, it all begins with intention. Um So it begins with thinking about what are your deepest desires. So in our meditation practice, and when I teach, um, we often ask questions like, who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? Um, And I think the what do I want goes to the core of something that my dad taught my brother and I when I was young and is actually the core of my new book, Just Feel. Um, So there's a phrase um, that goes, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and set the goals I will achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. And my dad would ask us, what do you ask for? Um, and we would say things like a trip to Hawaii, go to the <laughs> Celtics game, new clothes. And he'd listen and then say, well, what about asking for love? connection, inspiration, a sense of purpose. And so that really shapes for me what intention is, which is asking for who do we aspire to be? What are the experiences and feelings we aspire to in our lives? And when we plant these seeds of intention, then, you know, we kind of pay attention um, to the things that will make them happen. And um, that is actually really the the first three lines of that phrase are really what I used as the core of Just Feel, the new book.
0: So speaking of the book, let's talk about parenting. And um, you're a mom now of two daughters, um, Tara and Leela. And can you tell us a little bit about how you work mindfulness into family life?
1: Yeah. So it's amazing. My uh, girls now are 15 and a half and almost 18. So um, like where time has flown is amazing. (laughs) Um, You know, I have approached all of this in the way that my parents did it with me and my brother, which is to try to teach by example and not just words or making them do anything. So I do not force my kids to meditate we don't do conscious mindfulness practices at home per se um but it's just been a part of our family life so i am really very regular with my meditation practice more recently mm-hmm. with yoga my kids learned how to meditate um when they were four or five years old from my father they got like a mantra and um have their own practice And, you know, I invite them when they were younger to come and sit with me or we would do things together. Um, But I'm very aware of what happens after eight years old, (laughs) moving on into the teenage years. Like often we can't force our kids to do stuff. And in fact, the teenage years, um, uh, you know, one of my daughters was really anti-meditation, which is fine. Like, I think that's (laughs) fine. Um, And so for me, and that's why I wanted to write the books, because I wanted to give kids tools that they can kind of discover on their own, and maybe they can teach their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really has been my motto, which is lead by example. And if I can show my kids how that these practices Um, are valuable in my life, um, then hopefully they'll learn. So, but that includes, you know, uh, gratitude practices that, you know, I'll share what I'm grateful for, ask them, setting intentions in the morning, you know, before a certain day, um, Mm. you know, uh, going for walks and just enjoying nature and talking to each other. So it's part of our daily practice, just Mm -hmm. as who we are.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: From a very practical perspective, how do you teach young children those kind of mindfulness practices and to meditate? I mean, I know you said that your father taught your girls to meditate at four. I think that's, I mean, I have a four-year-old. That sounds very daunting to me. Yes. Um, What are the practical tips for how to actually teach them
1: to sit down and be still and um, how to get them to be more aware? So my first book for kids, Just Breathe, is full of Many, many, many exercises. It's written for kids, but what I find is a lot of parents, teachers, librarians, people are using it at home or in the classroom or in their communities. Um, So, first of all, I'm a big believer try different things. There's no one meditation practice that is right for everyone. And especially for kids, a lot of kids can't sit still. Um, And so that's why um, in that book, um, you know, there's movement exercises, yoga, walking exercises things that are like gratitude, um, uh, eating a mindful meal. There's so many fun things that you can do. Um, So I really wrote the book as like this menu of like, here are many, many things you can do um, with your kids. And, you know, then when they're a little bit older, they can discover them themselves. I think one of the things I love hearing from parents and teachers as their kids um, will come to them and be like you seem a little stressed I think you need to just breathe (laughs) and slow down and so you know that uh, is great because I think kids um, you know in their own experience then can share it with others.
0: And you're very active in your community as well and have actually taught a lot of other children and parents in your community um, about these kind of practices what kinds of things do you find resonate most?
1: So the way I started all of this, to be honest, was I was a mom with two kids, and so many of us were either stressed ourselves or we were seeing the stress and anxiety that our kids have. So living with intent was really um, at that stage in my life um, that I was dealing with, I was just trying to find balance. And then the second question, a first question I always get is, what is it like being Deepak's daughter? <laughs> and the second question I always get is, what about our kids? Mm-hmm. And so that was the inspiration between writing these books just breathe and just feel, um, which was, you know, how can we share this with um, a new generation, Um, a new generation that also is much more savvy than we were at our time, because it's overstimulated, overscheduled, they're dealing with different things. And I think what I'm so grateful for is that I have been teaching in my community for about 15 years and Mm -hmm. going to schools. And it all started with my daughter's Girl Scouts group when one of the moms said, Do you think we could just, you know, could you teach the meditation? And my older daughter was in third grade. And I said, Okay, let's try. But I was so panicked because I was like, How am I going to get third graders to sit quietly? And I remember we went through this, you know, the 45 minute Girl Scout meeting. I explained some ideas to them. And by the end, uh, the girls sat quietly for like three to five minutes (laughs) and they and I remember all of the moms had tears in their eyes and they were like, I can't believe that just happened. Um, And I explained to the moms, you know, what may happen is they may never do it again for the next few years, but maybe they'll remember this experience Mm -hmm. when they're in their teenage years or in college and they'll come back to it. (laughs) Um, And so that's really how this all started was with my own kids and my own community. Um, And, you know, it's just kind of one step at a time we've kind of evolved.
0: And I think that it's so interesting. You've mentioned that um, that these books are really written for children and that that was born out of your own experience. What was the experience of writing a book that's not designed for parents um, but really designed specifically for these kids? How did you get into that
1: mindset? Well, I actually sat with my girls um, and my nephew, so um, which was a few years ago, but they were probably at that time 8 and 14, 16-ish. Um, and I said, tell me what you guys are dealing with. Um, And so uh, first we sat and we wrote down, um, you know, whether it was like a tryout or um, sports practice or feeling overwhelmed by homework or um, uh, bullying at school or how do I stand up for a friend or how do I go talk to a teacher? So it really, it came from them um, and we brainstormed things that we can do together. So uh, I really wrote the book from the perspective of my nephew and my girl girls, also because they've been exposed to a lot of this stuff. So what was nice is they brought together both the topics, but then here are things that we can do for them.
0: And in your new book, um, The Just Feel book, you really explore a little bit more about the social and emotional intelligence um, and getting kids to notice and accept your feelings. And it's a bit of a different approach from um, just breathe. It's a little bit more about meditation and breath work and that kind of a thing. Um, So what are the the techniques and tools that you're talking about here? And how are you getting kids to recognize their own feelings? And why is that so important?
1: Yeah, so um, this book... is um uh, very different from just breathe uh i kind of think of just breathe as like the physical um just feel as the mental um and then i'll be working on something that's more the of emo- the spiritual um so our kids are anxious today <laughs> i mean they really are i mentioned before uh, we're living in a hyper-stimulated um externally focused world especially with the social media and all of the messages that they're coming that are coming to them over 2 million kids in the U.S. are diagnosed with anxiety or depression, and we're seeing in high schools and colleges um, more suicides um, and also just more social ills that come um, from being a very anxious society. So this book for Before me... Before we
0: even get to that, like, what
1: do you make of that? Where do you think that's coming from? I, I don't know. I mean, I think... Uh, I think we're living in a very fast paced world. Um, You know, I can only see it from a spiritual perspective, which is um, there's no quiet time or connection anymore. I see that with my own kids and family, Um, you know, uh, because there's constant stimulation. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so critical to bring back these ancient practices um, and actually become more comfortable with um, quiet time with being bored Um, Mm -hmm. if kids are scheduled nonstop, they don't have time to be creative they Mm -hmm. don't know who they are outside of you know being a soccer player or a dancer or you know there's so many labels um, that kids are always aspiring to and then once they get on social media um, one they're seeing the perfection of everyone else's lives without Mm -hmm. realizing that that's not really who people are and so then they start to question who they are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and let's be honest parents are really distracted um Mm -hmm. you know all the time whether it's on their devices or just trying to get through the day um Mm -hmm. and managing so we're dealing with a lot of factors. um, And, you know, that doesn't even go into the reality of poverty and, um, you know, racist uh, kind of behaviors. And I mean, there's just so many things, what's happening in our government, what's happening in our world, there is a lot of stress out there. Um, So this book um, really is trying to go back to the basics, which is um, knowing your mind and your body, so um, the first section is called to no, know and it's really about just understanding what feelings are, um, where they come from. And also that it's totally normal to feel sad and lonely and frustrated and angry as well as feeling happy. And we're not always trying. No one can always be a certain way. Um, I think we're also living in a, a society where um kids are scared of failure, Um, they don't have the grit and resilience um, that, you know, they're going to need to get through the normal ups and downs of life. Uh, So then the book kind of shifts to um, choose, which is choosing how you view the world, um, choosing your um, words, Before we get to that, tell us how you explain to kids what to do with those feelings when they
0: feel that way, when they're feeling anxious or perfectly normal feelings. But how do you tell them to
1: handle those? So I have an exercise in the book, um, which is Name My Feelings, which is a basic mindfulness practice where you kind of uh, sit and you start to become more aware of your feelings. Um, So just, um, and when, what triggers certain feelings. So what makes you feel nervous? What makes you feel excited? And the more that, again, kids can know and connect with those and actually very importantly also see where they feel them in their body Mm -hmm. um, because our body really um, manifests um, what we feel so um, you know when you're nervous is your stomach feeling butterflies in your stomach or um, when you get scared do you feel how your body heats up or embarrassed Mm -hmm. um, or how your heart starts beating faster so again um, also connecting the feelings to the sensations in the body. And then as we move along, um, the first step is just being aware of them. So one, accepting the range of feelings. Two, um, understanding what triggers them and how you feel them in the body. And then three, giving tools um, to Deal with them. So, um, whether that's a breathing exercise um, to kind of shifting from a fight flight response to a responsive, uh, sorry, more conscious response. Um, I have an exercise called Stop, um, which again Dan Siegel and others share, which is S for Stop. T is for take three breaths or take Mm -hmm. one breath. O is for observe your body. Um, And then P is for proceed. And he also has another great one, which is name it to tame it, um, which is when you feel something, name the feeling and that by itself starts to tame it. So where you don't let your body and mind just take over. Um, So yeah, I think the, the book, it's a It's a step-by-step process of first just being aware of your feelings. And then um, I structured it around that phrase that I said, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and set the goals I will achieve. So the book is really um, around know, choose, and then take action.
0: Do you consciously try and cultivate boredom in your house?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we do. (laughs) What does that look like? I was definitely one of the parents who did not schedule everything. And my kids are super busy. um, But we kind of made this conscious effort to not do too many things. um, But my kids are really passionate about what they're passionate about. And um, so my elder daughter loves to sing. And... um, for her, if she didn't have the time to just sit at the piano and just play at the piano and just have nothing to do, she never would have been able to kind of come up with the lyrics and the songs that she comes up with. So I think creativity comes out of boredom. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, And it also comes out of, you know, I hear so, because I teach so many people meditation, like, I'm always hearing how people are like, oh, well, I just can't sit still, I can't, like, it's okay to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to struggle. And I think that's one of the things I'm also trying to share in this book with kids, because um, if they live in a world where they think they're not supposed to struggle, um, that's when the challenges are going to see, seem too overwhelming, because it is normal um, to feel scared, to feel... Um, depressed at times, uh, to ha- to try over and over and over again. I have a whole section in here about kind of the grit and resilience that's needed to fail. Like often the greatest ideas or new opportunities come out of failure. And so um, let's kind of embrace that too.
0: And how do you go about setting out these times? Is it just not scheduling a Saturday morning class? Is it, you know, when are these times in the day when they're actually going and being bored getting creative
1: so you know my kids um themselves one go to super um academic schools where they are overwhelmed with a lot of homework um it's a reality and um you know we ended up going that route versus a more developmental approach Mm -hmm. um to the even education so for me there's um so that was a family decision my husband and I made. Um but there're a couple things that I will not compromise on. So one is sleep. So even at through um I would say ninth, tenth grade, um my kids were getting nine hours of sleep a night. Like I just won't compromise that. And like um like the school knows that too, right? Like I'm fortunate to be in the position I am uh, and I work a lot with the schools. Um, and in fact, our school um, just delayed the start time of school as well. So That's I think amazing. sleep is like a non non a non-negotiable for me-. Mm-hmm. Um, And then two on the weekends, but I think it depends what your kids like. I have an exercise in this book, which I think is so important for parents to read, um, which is, do I like what I'm doing? Because especially in that 8 to 12 year range, often um, the parents have got their kids into soccer and club soccer or the parents have got their kids into a dance and dance Mm -hmm. team or into playing an instrument. And the kids are just doing things because that was what they always did but there is a time to kind of which we should be doing always in our life but if we can learn early on like do i like what i'm doing Mm -hmm. um and i think for kids to do that exercise and parents to allow their kids to do that exercise which may be yeah i've been playing soccer For the last 10 years, you know, and I'm 14 now, but I really hate it, like, and I don't want to do it anymore. And I think it's for parents to allow their kids to say, you know what, I want to shift. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it's going to for the parents break some paradigm of what they were hoping for their kids so we've tried to do that with my kids which is like expose them to many things but now they're at an age they're so much older now um, which is like they've kind of discovered what they're passionate about and how great if that comes from them it has to come from them, right? Actually, you know, um, <laughs> I can't tell my daughter, um, you know, like my daughter was playing the drums for many years. My younger daughter, and she at like fourteen, after playing since first grade, um, in seventh, eighth grade, um, she was like, I really don't want to do it anymore, mm-hmm. and so we let her kind of let it go and. I'm yearning for her to do some musical instrument because I'm like, oh, it has so many benefits and it's it's creative and she just doesn't want to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. so I can't force her to do it, you know?
0: You've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about kids and their place in the world today. Um, and I'm just so curious, what do you think that it is that kids need in order to survive in this world? What are the tools or what are the um, what are the qualities that you think are, are really key to kids being successful?
1: I think for kids today, we need to give them space. Um, we need to give them time to breathe and to be creative and to know who they are. I think kids are under a lot of pressure right now, Um, but kids are also, and that's why I love um, going out and speaking to kids about these books, because when I go into a classroom and talk to like a fourth grade class or third grade class, They are so, like, excited and smart and open to trying things. Um, They want to talk nonstop, share experiences, tell me how stressed and miserable their parents are. Mm -hmm. um, And they're always worried about the stress of their parents. Um, And then I can talk to the kids and they'll show me their yoga poses and um, we'll do an exercise. And then I'll hear, like, a week later from the teachers or parents, which is, like, the kids go back home and they're like, Mom, I think you really need to just breathe. Like, just (laughs) take a deep breath right now. Mm -hmm. And they'll start teaching their parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I was so excited to have this opportunity to write books for kids. Mm -hmm. Because I think um, at this age, they're open. um, And they know that they're stressed also. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of kids know that they're anxious. And they want to do something about it as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What is the practice that if you could, you
1: would get every family doing every day? I think it is. It's a simple one, which is focusing on gratitude. And because I think with that, um, we take ourselves out of sometimes that kind of ego based. Ambitious achievement oriented mindset. Um, and so, and it's a great way to connect with our kids. So, um, you know, obviously, I'd add things like meditation and setting intentions, but I do think the gratitude practice is something that's really easy um, and also is authentic um, when we can really share that side of ourselves with our children and be inspired and surprised by the things that they share as well.
0: And what, are the, what is the quick tip for how to do that at dinner every night?
1: Just what are you grateful for today? So I mentioned before in the meditation, after meditation practice, we often ask, who am I, what do I want, how can I serve, and then what am I grateful for today? And it literally could be um, I'm grateful for the meal you cooked or I'm grateful that my friend came and talked to me you know, or called me today or maybe it can be the simplest things.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, Malika. Thank you for sharing all of this. And I'm excited to go home and introduce this to my family.
1: Thank you.